Well, what a, what a delight to be called upon to be here again and to see each of you tonight. And, um, so uh, I think I said this the last time I was here. I think I actually preached from Philippians the last time I was here, maybe, um, that um, what I bring when I'm guest preacher I, is the same that I bring to the prisons. When I minister in the chapels, I'm not bringing something different. It's a whole lot more interactive because it's not lecture style. It's, it's interactive all the time. I'm always gearing up for a question and saying, what do you see on the page? <laughs> but, but it would actually please me deeply if you would once in a while call to mind that every week um, men are gathering in eight places to take these words into hand. They're actually almost done with Philippians. We've gone a little further than this. I'm choosing this message for tonight. But just to even to, to actually draw to mind that it's actual, it's real in fellowship every week um, with those guys, and I'm really I'm thankful for that. So we're headed for Ephesians, and chapter 3, verse is uh, 12, on to chapter 4, verse 1. And I do like to, uh, especially as we gear up for this, like to give some introduction. Um, I may have said this before, the guys tease me, I'm Mr. Introduction, but it's kind of how it goes. Um, but I think it's actually important this time um, in considering and understanding our redemption. It's a helpful uh, reflection to think about what about it is now and what about it is yet to come? Well, I mean, there are things yet to come, obviously yet to come. But what, what, what may we, what has been communicated to us by the Lord in His Word that we may register as being already? This is in place. This is real. This is actual. This is now. Um, and I think that's good, especially for given what we're going to see in verse 12. As soon as we take up verse 12, uh, we have a reason to, to, to contemplate this. So as far as introduction, what I'd like to do is give a sort of a short list. I, I, I know very clearly that it is not the complete list of what is now because there's so much. We could spend a few weeks on that one. What, what has the Lord granted us to know is already the case in our salvation. Um, if we are persons uh, whom by His grace... Um, who, by his grace, entrust ourselves to the mercy and hope that he's put forward in Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, so anyway, so number one in that list, and I should have given you an outline list. I should have done that. But anyway, number one in that list would be that if you have, in fact, entrusted yourself to God in Christ, there is a history of grace behind that already. If it's come to be in your life that you've entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ, um, uh, our Lord Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So something that is already is the Lord's reaching to you and active drawing you to himself. That's already. You didn't start that. You didn't make that happen. He has already reached to you and drawn you to himself. Same passage would give us number two, um, John 6, 37, where Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. 
Um, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So if you have, by God's grace, come to Jesus Christ, you may know about that, that God the Father gave you to Jesus Christ, his son, and entrusted you to him for good keeping. <laughs> you know, this is an already thing about your life. And what that means is, is that God has loved you, chosen you, given you to his son. And the wonder of the next words there in verse 39 in John 6 are Christ's words, this is the will of the Father who sent me. Isn't that great when it says, this is what God's will is. You ready for that? <laughs> this is what it is. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he's given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. Um, this is already. And in, in one sense, and it's a little hard to write, so out. But in one sense, you know, God is above time and we live in it, right? So in him, the things he's decided are now sort of forever already. <laughs> you know, the things that he's already decided are like that. Um, and yet we still live until the day. You know, I will raise him up at the last day. That is a promised thing. It in one sense is now in God's, not only in his stated communicated commitments, but in the commitment that he has made. This is an already thing, but we live until it happens. It, it's coming like that. So we've been drawn, we've been given to Christ if we, are, if we belong to him by faith. Thirdly, let's talk about pardon. The scripture speaks of Christ's sacrifice as having been offered once for all to address something. Once for all offered to address something very particular as we hear in the words of Hebrews 9.28, having Christ in history already done, already actual, already real. And he's done it under that purpose, to bear the sins. Um, the, um, uh, in verse 27 of chapter 7 in Hebrews, it says he did this once for all when he offered himself up. And because... Christ's work to accomplish that, or that, that what his work, uh, what he was called upon to do on occasion in history, because that's once for all, then the, um, the gift that, that comes from that, our pardon, can be granted and can be now. You, biblically, if you believe in Jesus Christ, are, in fact, pardoned. Pardoned. Um, I think of how Ephesians verse, chapter 1 verse 7 speaks to this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's possession. We have it. I should have made you quote that one out loud. In him we have this already <laughs> like that. Um, number four in a list could be that we have have been, it's all the things that are already, we have been granted membership in his household. The house of God, children of God, we've been given that already. We've been given citizenship already in his kingdom. And when our passage comes up, the apostle will say that. Our citizenship is in heaven. Let's reason from there into what we're going to talk about. 
You know, it, it's something already. It's something real in that way. Ephesians 2.19 speaks this way. Spoke this way, by the way, to Gentile, uh, the predominantly Gentile church in, in Ephesus. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And I can declare it to you. You, if by faith you know Jesus Christ and trusted yourself to him only for salvation, um, that I can say to you, you are citizens. I can say to you, you are members of the household of God. These things are already the, uh, the past tense, things that are, things that have already come is wonderfully evident in Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 to 4. Um, and it forms again, and I, I've mentioned this, I want to mention it again. It forms the way in which the, the apostle reasons with those to whom he's writing. Because this is already because this is the case, then this. Listen to how he says it in Colossians 3, verses 2 to 4. He reasons with them, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are already identified, united with him in his death on the cross. What that was about you are united with already. In him you have died. And your life is, it's at the current, it's, it's already um, uh, hidden with Christ in God. Um, then it goes on, and this begins to, to, to pull in the things that are yet to come. It says, your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So that's the not yet. You know, there's something that is coming. I mean, it's, it's, it's real in God's eternal commitments, <laughs> but, but it is in a time for us still coming. Um, hasn't occurred uh, yet, and I, I love it how both are mentioned in the same passage. Things that are and on the ground of them, we may hope in the things that will be. Uh, one of my favorite passages to that effect is Hebrews 10, 14, where it speaks of um, this concerning Christ by a single offering. Here's the once and for all thing, right? Hebrews does that, what, six times? <laughs> Something like that, once for all, once for all, once for all, once for all, once for all. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So the, the, the already is that by that purchase, he has made perfect for all time those who are in process, <laughs> if you will, being sanctified. And one of the beauties as far as what these, this picture of our redemption, and it's, it does in fact come from the same letter, Philippians, as we get to it, Back in chapter 1, he, he said this concerning those people, I am sure. I've got to get where I wrote that one down. Um, I am sure. Oh, here, I'll just do this. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you my NIV for a moment. Um, just, uh, it's uh, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. He speaks of being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on 
to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, you know, so we have all of these things. I give a kind of a long introduction, as you've noticed, you know, to that for a reason. For a reason, because literally we could get confused um, when we hear the apostle begin his words. And maybe even especially with the uh, ESV translation at this point, he's, he, he's just talked in, in chapter 3, he's just talked about not wanting to be found in himself and his own righteousness, not have a righteousness of my own that's found in, in the law. I want to be found in Christ, having a righteousness that is not my own. A righteousness that comes from God, that is by faith. He talks about that, and he speaks of wanting to be you know, completely identified with his, both his sufferings and death and his resurrection. It can be confusing when the first words out of verse 12 are, not that I've already obtained all this. What's he talking about? Category one or category two? <laughs> right? Is he saying, not yet have I been chosen, pardoned, all those things that I listed in my list. No. He's saying, I have not yet entirely entered in to all that Christ is doing and will do. <laughs> right? Not yet. Not, I haven't. Well, here is how it goes. Not that I've already obtained all this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And that notice, listen carefully, right? There's an already that's in there. He's, he's gotten a hold of Paul already. Did you hear it? Right? I'm trying to take hold of that for which I have been taken hold. He made me his own already. And, and therefore, that sets the scene for what I'm pressing on to enter into. He saved me for a purpose. Um, actually, I, 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 uh, I'm not the, the greatest of, of Greek scholars, but I do prefer the translation right here in verse 12 of, let's say, the NASB, NIV, New King James. I, I prefer those translations. And I'll give you um, uh, New King James just to keep in your head uh, New King James at Philippians 3.12 says this, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. It has an object, if you will. I'm pressing on to get a hold of, to apprehend. You know what apprehend is, right? You chase something and catch it. <laughs> right? I want to I pursue this thing and get a hold of it, <laughs> if you will, because Christ saved me for a purpose. And it's a good purpose. It's an inspiring purpose that he saved me for. And he'll, he'll work that and accomplish it and present me before the throne of God, spotless and blameless, some other passages that we could do. But I press on to grasp it, chase it, catch it, pursue it, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. Um, and and that's, uh, that's, that's really, I think, the, the, the kind of understanding with which we can approach this. Maybe just for helping us to latch on to something and remember it tonight. I, I hope you can hold that phrase in your head tonight, tomorrow, for the rest of your life. I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus 
laid hold of me. That's what our life is about. That's what our life is about. He has taken hold of us for a great purpose. Then I asked briefly, in my long introduction, I I asked briefly, did I say briefly? (laughs) Um, I I asked, how shall we define that? Christ Jesus took hold of me for a purpose. Okay, there is a that. There is something for which he took hold of me. What is that? And we could talk all night about that too, but let me give you one passage from Titus chapter 2, 13 and 14. Speaks this way at the end of 13, verse 13, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then at verse 14, he gave himself for us to, you hear it coming? There's a purpose clause going. There's a purpose thing happening here. He gave himself for us to, and here it comes, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. You might ask, why did Jesus save me? Why, Why did he give his life on the cross? So as to, it's the purpose clause, so as to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people that are his own possession, zealous for good works. Um, I love how there's a kind of a whole list in there. It's the rescue from the demise that lawlessness would bring. It's rescue, and it's a purchased rescue, a redeeming by purchase for that. It's about purification, but it's not only about purification. He's actually bringing to himself a people that he calls my possession, mine, my people, and then finally zealous for good works. And so this is framework for our lives. This is what Christian faith looks like, to press on, to enter in more and more and more and more into the very purpose for which I was laid hold of, to enter in and, 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 uh, and experience that to, to his glory and to, to get a hold of it. I, I mention this, all, all of this preparation in part because um, especially, let's say, in the circles where I deal, um, in, in the prison chapels, sometimes uh, the, the gospel news is, is put in, and there's a, 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 a warm reaction to that. That's great news. Fire insurance? I'll take some of that. That's really good. You know, some fire insurance. All right. And then, like, no sense that that is a, is a high calling into something. It's just, I got the fire insurance, and that's where it ends. Uh, what, gather with the Christians? No. Gather with the Christians. I'm staying in my cell. I'll play some basketball, whatever it is. I just don't care. And I'm, I'm saying that because I perceive that in there, but it's not like it's not out here, <laughs> right? To, to think fire insurance is the main issue. It's actually quite a bit better news than that. <laughs> better news. You know, we're not, we're not um, we don't have final judgment penalty taken away so we can keep playing with fire. It's not the, it's not the point. Of the thing. The point is actually much better news. Uh, you know, he gave his life to, you know, redeem me from all this wickedness, all this fruitless, meaningless, empty stuff. You know, he gave his life to redeem, to purify, to take me as his own, to set me on a path of being eager to do what is good. That's what he took me for. And, and that's just one definitional uh, phrase. Notice then when I read, when I finally get around to reading, the passage. Notice when I read 
that the whole thing is set in contrast. In verses 12 on to 4-1, this beautiful high calling thing of which he speaks is set in direct contrast with an issue that Philippi church is facing in a big way uh, there. Listen, listen to how it goes then. So the apostle, verse 12, not, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if... In anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold on to what we've attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and, and keep your eyes on those who's, or who walk according to the example you have in us for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. I have to go back to NIV because I didn't type it here. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that's how you should stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, I could say it directly to you, to me, to my soul too. That's how you should stand firm. That's how you should stand firm. Dear friends. Uh, much more briefly through some of these other elements, let those of us who are mature think this way. This is what Christian thinking ought to to be like. We can't have a different model in our different framework for approaching this whole thing. It ought to be like this. It ought to look a whole lot like this, <laughs> you know, that as, as he has described it, the upward call into which he is straining forward. Did you ever walk a dog that won't stop? <laughs> you know, he's straining forward, always, you know, pressing on into uh, into that. All of us who are mature, actually some translations um, say all of us who are perfect, but even when we use the, the word mature, we never mean 111% mature. We mean this is a mature person. Think not perfect, but mature, and that's the same thing. All of us who are mature should think this way, and if anything, in anything you think otherwise, God will straighten you out. I mean, that's a kind of a paraphrase. <laughs> With that, you know, um, only let's hold to what we have attained. Don't regress. Don't regress. Um, I think he, I hear him saying that too. And I, I've also noted this as well about the Philippian situation. I read Philippians. It's four chapters long. You can knock it out in a few minutes, you know, kind of thing. Um, and it's pretty cheerful, right? Sixteen times he mentions joy in one way or the other. Rejoice. I'll say it all the time. Rejoice. It's there like that. It seems like a cheerful letter. But my, um, my sense of the atmosphere of it is, is put into a little more gravity 
when I hear him say, I've spoken to you about this often, this other thing, this contrast thing. I've spoken to you about this often. And even as I write, tears are falling on my page. Something in Philippi, just in the Philippi church, surrounding them, an issue that's right constant, you've got to talk about it a lot, would be that some are enemies of the cross. Destiny, destruction, God is their belly. Um, mind set on earthly things, those, those kinds of deals. And so he says, oh, brothers, join in imitating me. You have an example. When, when Paul was with them, when Silas was with them, and uh, Timothy and Luke, when they were with them, they were good examples, but they were also teachers of pattern, teachers of a pattern of life that was fitting a pattern of life suitable to the nature of this thing. This redemption is like this, not like that. You know, and this pattern of life is not a new legalism. It's a definition for what the good thing is. What, what we're being saved into for all the glory of God and the blessing to, to what he's doing, this is what we're being saved into. So watch my example. Take note of persons who are following this. Um, keep your eyes on those who walk as in accord with this example. And then, again, the heartbreaking things, that, that short list. Actually, let's walk through briefly the list. They are enemies of the cross. There's a lot of ways to talk about someone who is opposing faith in general. You could say they're enemies of faith. They're enemies of God. But he's pretty specific here. There's something specific being communicated when he says enemy to the cross. And I think what he's doing there would be that at the cross, Christ died to sin, died to pay for sin, died for you to pay for your sin. If anyone were to advocate going on in sin or go on unrepentant in sin, that makes enemy status to the cross itself. Does that make sense? The cross itself that way. Enemies of the cross. It says destiny is destruction. Um, it goes on, let's see. Their God is their belly. What, what, is, what is he saying? I think it's probably broader than just they eat too much, right? He's probably in one way saying their God is their appetite. Their, the, the, the whole end point of their goal is their craving. Whatever is craved is the end point. And that becomes then their worship. It's, it's, it's this world only. It's what I long for. And this world seems to present many satisfying things. There's lots of pleasures, lots of interest factors, lots of things like that. But if that's the end point, that then becomes God to them. And that's, that's the problem with the situation of these folks. It also says their glory is in their shame. Somehow there's a, there's a reveling a, an exulting in the actual shameful thing. It comes up a couple of times in the scripture. You know, um, in that heartbreaking 1 Corinthians passage where they're dealing with somebody and saying, you know, the kind of sin in your church uh, is, is like something that unbelievers don't even approve. You know, like that. And you're proud you see how those two go together? There's a certain, and, and it's a misunderstanding of gospel. As though to say fire insurance means freedom for sin. 
or something like that. Jude does the same thing. Some, some are changing the grace of God into license. And so that's on record as what's happening. I think that's probably in some sense what's happening here. Their glory is in the very shameful thing. I have been somehow released by my pardon to enter into these shameful things and enjoy them or whatever at that point. Um, glories. And their mind is on earthly things. That's a similar kind of talk to what, what you hear in Romans chapter 1 where it says they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. It's that end point thing. What is the end point? What is the, the final object of their hope? Earthly, just earthly. But then the contrast, the wonderful contrast, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's how he real, reasons with them. We have, we have such, such an inspiring higher goal, <laughs> if you will. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're awaiting the return. That's one of the future things. But we're re- awaiting the return of this Savior who, by the power that enables him to put everything under his control, will redeem your bodies. And I think that's, it goes beyond my sore left knee. I had a church picnic here not too long ago. It's been hurting ever since after baseball. But I think this is bigger than that. <laughs> you know, you know the, enables him to bring everything under his control, to redeem our bodies so that it would be like his glorious body uh, and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, uh, therefore, oh, my brothers, you whom I love, you whom I long for, my joy, my crown, this is how you ought to stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I thought about this, and I'll close with this. Um, you know, you don't have to say anything out loud, you know your own experience of whether you feel motivated inside to press on or not press on, right? Right? You know that experience. Everybody's smiling here and there. <laughs> you know that experience. I, I put it forward here in terms of these words that the better we know the worth of this hope, the more motivated we will be. Um, this high calling, the heavenward calling in Christ, this coming Savior, this, and that's why often um, I... And I, I could do this tonight. Do we need benediction? Do I need to provide benediction for tonight? I have it. It's right here. <laughs> um, let, 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 me, let me drive toward that benediction as closing point, if you will. But let me uh, offer prayer first and then give close with benediction uh, from Ephesians chapter 1. Lord, I pray that we would... Um, hear these words, see the contrast, see the emptiness of one, the fullness of the, uh, of the other, the low nature of the one and the exalted nature of the other. Um, be, by your spirit, stirred up to press on, uh, glad about pressing on, eager to press on because of these things. And then in benediction, uh, Lord, from your word at Ephesians 1, I pray for each of these, that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which you have called them. And that they might know the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and know also the incomparably great power that is for each one. 
like the working of your mighty strength when you raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. Do we have another song?